This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Good morning, Emmaus. It's good to be with you guys this morning. So I think it's, um, it's funny that as uh, we're doing a series talking about Christmas carols, so essentially we're having a series on the theology of songs, and I am the worship pastor here on staff at Emmaus, and I get the least familiar song <laughs> that anyone has ever heard. <laughs> so like in a sense, I had like way more work I feel like to do than Aaron on that, so, but maybe that's like, you know, acceptable because I am the worship pastor. Um, but yeah, it's cool that, that I get to do this because um, really in a sense, every time we sing a song at Emmaus, especially when we sing new songs, I kind of have to do this. I have to kind of dig into the song and, and see like where is scripture showing up in the song? Is this something that we want to be on the lips of our people um, that we sing on Sundays? And so I'm kind of excited just to, to even having gotten to do this with a song that I wasn't really familiar with um, until we went to the series. Um, but this morning, kind of what we're talking about as well. So we are talking about the song called Once in David's Royal City, and we're also talking about the idea of reigning, Christ's reign, and kind of in following with the Advent guide. And so I think one of the, the questions that I was thinking about in preparing for this is why should we consider Christ's reign during Advent? What does Advent, what does Christmas have to do with Christ's reign? We know, I think, that Christ is king, and we've heard that and we say that, and we've We've seen that other places, but it seems like when we're talking about Christmas, when we're talking about Advent, we're talking about baby Jesus, like little baby Jesus in a manger, not baby Jesus who's now grown up and on a throne, <laughs> ruling and reigning next to his father. And so I kind of hopefully today, as we, as we look at this carol that may be unfamiliar to us, and we kind of look at this idea of Christ reigning that's being drawn from this carol, um, I kind of want to draw those lines together of how Christ's reign fits and is understood in this context of Advent, this context of Christmas. And because I think when we consider that, when we consider Christ's reign during Advent, I think that when we look at it, the incarnation, Christmas time, has everything to do with Christ's reign. And I think the song kind of helps us see that in, in three kind of themes that stick out about Christ's reign and what he is reigning in that the incarnation allows for this. And I think, first, it's humility. Christ reigns in humility, but he also reigns with authority. So he reigns in authority, and I think those two things together mean that we have a king who reigns with sympathy for us, for his people. And I think those things are kind of drawn out of the lyrics of this carol, and they are presented in how we kind of draw the line between baby Jesus and King Jesus. Um, so hang with me there. We're going to kind of um, unpack that this morning. Um, so before we jump into that, before we jump into the song and, and some of the scripture, let's just uh, take a moment to pray um, that the Spirit would reveal to us what he would. Jesus, this morning as we, as we sang, um, we are here to worship. Jesus, we want you to know that um, that our hearts desire to, to receive you, to receive your word, to receive your kingship over our lives. I pray this morning that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and be at work to, to open our eyes to see you, to see your beauty, the beauty of your gospel, of your word to us. 
who you are for us, who you've called us to be as your people of your kingdom. Jesus, your word says that, that from you and through you and to you are all things. And it's because of that that you deserve glory. So I pray this morning, Jesus, that you would receive the glory that is due to you through our attention to your word, through the songs that we sing, through the breaking of bread. Jesus, would you have it all? Because you deserve it all. And it's in your name we pray, amen. So I'm gonna talk about that first point, that Jesus reigns in humility. So let's look at the first couple of lyrics of the song. So that ver- first verse says, once in Royal David's city stood a lowly cattle shed where a mother laid her baby in a manger for his bed. Mary was that mother mild, Jesus Christ, her little child. And then there's another verse that says, and his shelter was a stable and his cradle was a stall with the poor and mean and lowly lived on earth, our savior, holy. These these lyrics kind of paint a picture of a scene in which our savior, holy, as the song says, entered into the world. And I think what stands out is that it was nothing spectacular. Like there's nothing spectacular about being in a barn. (laughs) Um, Maybe Cole would disagree, but (laughs) yeah, like if you know anything about like livestock, they're dirty. (laughs) So, I mean, in the text, there's nothing necessarily in the Bible that actually says that Jesus was like in a barn or like a stable. I'm like, those words aren't there in the text. Really the only inclination we have of that is that he was, it does say that he was laid in a manger. Um, And considering the fact that a manger is like basically a feeding trough, like it's a pretty good inclination that he was (laughs) in a stable, even if the word doesn't actually say that. But I think the point is that there's nothing spectacular and definitely nothing sterile (laughs) about the means in which our, our holy God, our savior holy, came into this world. And yeah, it's, it's, that's, not like a, that's not a scene that you picture when you think of a royal birth. When you think of someone who is royalty, who is king, who's going to be king of all nations, like that's not the kind of scene that you imagine that uh, the mother of a king would give birth in, that, that scene. It's, it's dirty, it's not flattering. In a sense, it's, it's humiliating. And I think that is kind of what the song is drawing at. And that's why I want to talk about the humility of Christ because in a sense, even from birth, it signified that this king of ours came into the world in humility and is therefore is a humble king. His means are of humility. And I think this is significant too because the word tells us that, that Mary knew that this was going to be, that uh, the, the son that she was gonna give birth to was gonna be of royalty. And we see that in the Gospel of Luke. So we're kinda, I'm gonna be jumping around kinda as we, as we have in this series through a bunch of texts. So don't feel like you have to uh, flip through your Bibles like a sword drill or something. Aaron knows what I'm talking about. So uh, Luke, Luke chapter one. And this is kinda the story of when Mary learns that she is going to, to conceive Jesus. In Luke chapter one, verse 26, it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. And I think it's funny, I, was, I mentioned this at GC the other night, um, but there's a really popular song called Mary Did You Know? It's like been around like since a lot of us were kids. And it's like, uh, yeah, there's, I feel like at my, my home church back in Oklahoma, uh, we would always do like a Christmas Eve service, like a candlelight thing. And it was really mostly just like people coming up and like singing specials. And there's always somebody who sang that song. It's like year after year. Um, and I just think it's so funny because like the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> it's like the, the song is like very grand and, and like in its thing, it's like all these questions about like all the, and describing like all the ways that like Jesus is amazing and wonderful, which is great, but it's like, did Mary, Mary, did you know? She's like, yes, I did know. <laughs> the angel, like an angel showed up <laughs> and told me. <laughs> Oh, and you're like, yes, I know he's gonna be awesome because he like said he's gonna be awesome. He like said my son's gonna be king. It's like also like I wrote a song about it in like the next section. So it's like, yes, Mary knew. Anyway, I just like, I had to get that off my chest as like the guy preaching about songs. But the, the, point, the point that Mary knew from the beginning is that her son would be king. And his name would be Jesus a name that means God with us. And that God with us was coming to reign. And it is odd, it is backwards, that everything about the birth of that kind of person was so unkeen-like. Laid in a manger, born into poverty, spent the first several years of his life as a refugee, in Egypt from a jealous King Herod. Nothing about that is grand. But yes, Mary did know, in spite of all that, that her son would be Emmanuel. And we see that theme continued all throughout Jesus' life. His life and his birth from his life to his death is a story of humility. It's a story of little means. (laughs) The son of man had nowhere to rest his head. Jesus and a bunch of guys (laughs) uh, who had no, mostly no education and from all different walks of life, walking around the countryside, teaching from town to town, kind of living off of what people gave to them. Like that's not a grand, that doesn't sound like a grand life of like a king being carted around and whatever those things are called, they're like, people carry you in. Like, that is not how Jesus got around. <laughs> um, even, even the triumphal entry, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem for the cross, what does he ride in on? He rides in on a donkey. Like, there's, like, what's, like, grand about a donkey compared to, like, a Clydesdale <laughs> or something, you know? Like, it's just, like, it's humility. And it happens over and over again. And I was thinking about that, and, and the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet kind of stuck out to me. And we find it in John 13. It says this, it says, when he had washed their feet 
and he put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus, our King, Jesus, our Lord, with a humble birth, living a holy life, with a humiliating death imminent upon him, washes his disciples' feet. And then he says, no servant is greater than their master. Jesus leads by example. He reigns an example through a posture of humility. And he says that we are blessed if we recognize this, if we recognize that we are not greater than our master. If washing feet is a fit task for our king, then shouldn't we ought to wash one another's feet as well? How much more should we be willing to do that? If we are, if we are citizens of this kingdom and Jesus is our king, then what we also take on, if our king is a humble king, then we too take on humility as his people. And although Jesus did live this life of humility, he was king and he did speak with authority. He did speak with power. And so I wanna talk about that too, as we, as we kind of recognize that Jesus is a humble king, we then are his humble people of his kingdom. Let's also recognize that though he was humble, he did have authority. And so let's talk about that. Here are a couple, some of the next couple lines of the song um, that kind of talk about this idea. It says, and our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love. For that child so dear and gentle is our Lord in heaven above. Not in that poor lowly stable with the oxen standing by we shall see him, but in heaven set at God's right hand on high. We like stars his children crowned, all in white shall wait around. Yes, Jesus was humble and he does describe himself in the gospel of Matthew as someone who is gentle and lowly in heart. But he spoke with authority and I would like to think that Jesus and his humility is not what made the Pharisees and the teachers of the law want to kill him. <laughs> like no one was like, who's like the nicest guy that we can like throw on the cross for no reason? Like that's not what was happening. Like Jesus, they wanted to kill Jesus because he spoke with, with authority that they thought was inappropriate, that they thought was blasphemous. And the best example of this is again in John in chapter eight. And a lot of you are probably familiar with this passage. Um, but it says this, in a, starting in verse 53. So Jesus is talking with, the, and the Pharisees are kind of going back and forth to Jesus. And they ask him, they say, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died 
Who are you, uh, who do you make yourself out to be? Like, what right do you have to speak this kind of authority? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Right there is a claim to divinity. And I don't know that it's an exact um, quote from Exodus when when God says that I am who I am. Um, But it is definitely a claim to divinity because what he's saying is like, before Abraham existed, I existed, which, you know, when you think about science and like math, someone who's 33 could not be older than someone who's like a couple of thousand years dead. by then. And so, yeah, he's, he's claiming that he has pre-existence. He, he predates Abraham. He predates their faith that they're arguing with him over, the founding fathers. Like, if that's not a claim to divinity, a claim to power, a claim to authority to speak on behalf of God, I don't know what is. And not only that, he's claiming that he is a fulfillment of God's covenantal promises. He said, he was saying Abraham rejoices at, the, at this day, at my day. He's saying like, not only am I older than Abraham, but I'm like who Abraham was longing for. I'm the fulfillment of the blessing of Abraham. You know, in the act of the story, I guess I forgot to put the slide up, add it to my slides, but you know, like this is Jesus saying like, what's happening right now at the cross, I'm the fulfillment of that arrow going this way. <laughs> I should have put it up there, sorry. <laughs> it's like I'm the fulfillment of everything like before that in the story. It's a pretty bold claim. You can't really make that claim as just a regular dude out teaching. And I, so I think that's why it's kind of surprising that a lot of people want to, you know, like one of the big arguments against Christianity is that Christ never claimed that he was God. I'm like, well, have you read John 8? Because he's like basically saying that. <laughs> And also he says a lot of other bold things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through me. Like those are pretty black and white (laughs) claims in my book. Um, But yeah, but Jesus, he was aware of his authority and he clearly was not ashamed to declare his authority. And like the lyric suggests, this meek, and this gentle person, this, this Christ that we've seen come from humble beginnings, is also at the same time our infinite God. And there's this idea, um, you know, the idea that, that Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. And, and there's a word for that. It's in like academia. It's called the hypostatic union. And it's basically just a fancy way to say personal union. It's the idea that like that Christ has two natures and those two natures aren't opposing, they actually co- they can coexist. That Christ as one person who is fully God 
and is fully man. And I, and I bring that up because I want to say the, it's amazing because it points to Christ's humility. It, it again, like it further instills that. We talked about this kind of in the first week of release of O Holy Night, that, that Christ, the God of the universe emptied himself, took on the form of a servant. Like what is more humble than that? That an infinite God would come into a finite world. But at the same time, as much as it is that, it is also that he has all authority. As I, as I prayed from Romans 11, that from him are all things, through him are all things. Colossians says that Christ holds all things together. Like that's a lot more power than like any one of us could ever claim. And you can only do that if you're fully God. And Christ does that fully as man as well. And looking back at the song, his authority is displayed in full force as we see him no longer according to the flesh. We don't see him through the lens of, of a baby in a manger anymore. It says, uh, says with, you know, no cattle or oxen we'll see, but we'll see him at the right hand of his father. So we don't just see Jesus as a baby in a manger because we have the rest of the story. We know that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. We talked a lot about that in our last series in Hebrews. So, yes, Jesus holds these two natures perfectly. He holds humanity and yet his divinity at the same time. And he reigns in both of those things. He is humble in the fact that he is fully man and he has suffered and he understands that. But he's also holy because he's also at the same time our infinite God. And kind of the, some of that language in the song of Jesus sitting at the right hand and there being people around and clothed in white, it comes from Revelation 7. And I wanted to share that with you. So in Revelation 7, verse 9 through 14, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. See, there's the paradox of humility and authority coexisting is that Jesus is both our lamb, our lamb that is slain, which doesn't really invoke much fear <laughs> or authority. Like how many of you are scared of lambs? Like probably not a lot of you. Um, 
unless you had like a traumatic experience at a petting zoo that I didn't know about. <laughs> we can talk about that later. Or Olivia, she's a counselor. But Jesus is also the lion of Judah. Amen. The roaring. The roaring lion. So Jesus, I, th- I think we we don't really see things that way most of the time. I don't I don't think most of the time we would think of someone of authority when we picture someone of authority like. We want them to be humble. <laughs> like, that is an ideal, but I don't think that's always what happens. I think, you know, most of the time when you hear about people in authority, you hear of their downfall because of their arrogance, because of their uncaringness, because of their lack of sympathy, because of their grasp at power, because authority is what they care about. Yet, th- there's this paradox in, in the hypostatic union that Christ, as just as a person, as a regular person, from humble means, can also at the same time be our infinite God who has all authority that can, in heaven, sitting on the throne, have all of heaven singing blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to him. Because he's both. Because humility and authority don't have to be exclusive. And they are held together in the person of Christ. The perfect example of humility and authority coexisting. A lion and a lamb. So I think, to summarize those scenes, why does it matter so much that Jesus is both human and God, humble and holy? And I think it's this. It matters because it informs the nature and his rule as king. It matters that Christ reigns in humility, and it matters that he does reign in authority because those things are being held together, because the incarnation has everything to do with his reign and what he's reigning in. Because it informs, the incarnation informs how Christ now reigns as our king. And the, the only word that I could think of to summarize that is sympathy, because we just did Hebrews. So let's look at, there's a couple more lyrics that I want to hone in on that I think pulls me from that, pulls me to that from the song. So the end of the third verse, it says, and he leads his children on to the place where he has gone. And here are some lines from a verse we won't see, so sorry about that. But they really fit this point, so I brought them in. <laughs> it says, tears and smiles like us he knew, and he feels for our sadness and shares in our gladness. So like I said, we just, you guys weren't with us. We just did a long series in, in Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 4, it says this. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Amen. See, the incarnation has everything to do 
with the reign of Jesus because of what he's reigning in and humility with authority as a sympathetic king. Because he entered into our world in humility. He, en- he entered into our world emptied of himself. He walked the path of humanity. Mayest the God of the universe has been exhausted. The God of the universe has been thirsty. He's been hungry, without a place to rest his head, without a penny to his name, hurt by those he loves, experienced the loss of death of a loved one, probably endured family drama on the holidays. (laughs) There's a lot of feasts in Judaism. Like the point is this, Jesus has been through it all. He's walked the path of humanity. He's walked the path, the path of suffering, yet without sin. And because he walked that path, yet without sin, he has inherited a throne of holiness, a throne of grace, a seat next to his Father. But not without the knowledge not without the experience of suffering, of humility, of humanity. He leads us, he leads his children on to where he has gone. Remember he says already, no servant is greater than their master. If the path of humility, if the path of suffering was fit for our king, is it not fit for us? He knows our joy. He knows our sorrow. He knows what he's calling us to do. He's not unfamiliar and he isn't calling us to somewhere he hasn't gone before us. That's a king who's reigning in humility, who's calling us to follow him with authority, but who does so with sympathy. Because he's known our weaknesses. He's experienced them himself. So I wanna ask us another question. So we've kind of, we've examined the song, we've kind of examined some of those themes it's pulling out, we are seeing that, that Christ reigns in humility, he reigns in authority, he reigns in sympathy. So what do we do with this knowledge for our sympathetic king reigning in humility and all authority? Like what do we apply from all this that we're learning from this song that like none of us have heard? I think it's this, we walk the path of Jesus. Look at me at Romans, the verse that, that Aaron read this morning. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Amen. Provided we suffer 
with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So yeah, I think we like the idea of, of following Jesus and we like the idea that Jesus reigns in authority because we like to be right. <laughs> but we don't like to suffer. And I, I think what Paul is saying here in Romans and, and really what I feel like the song is trying to teach us, I mean, really what Jesus is trying to teach us <laughs> is that we're to be like him. We're to walk the path that he walked. And, and I think what Paul is saying here in Romans is that the path to glory, to being like Jesus, is the path of suffering. It's the path that Jesus walked himself, of emptying himself, looking not to his own interest, but he looked to the interest of others. That's why he came. This is like the song we sang, all for love's sake became poor. So I want to talk about a couple of things just from the idea of, you know, if, if Jesus walked in humility, if Jesus walks with authority, if he reigns out of, out of the context of sympathy, how then can we walk that path with him? How can we apply those things, the, how Jesus reigns, how can we apply that to our walk as we walk the path of Christ? So let me share with you a couple of things, observations. So I think first in humility, we understand walking in humility means that there will be suffering. And I think the truth is this, that you know, Jesus says that there's no servant greater than his master. He also says, no one can serve two masters. And I think the point is that we can't be obedient to the world and to Christ at the same time. And I think when we choose to be obedient to Christ instead of to the world, when we choose to be obedient to Christ and not to our own desires, suffering follows that. In a sense, Christ pretty much guaranteed. You know, when you pick up a cross, like that involves suffering. Crosses are heavy. They're made of wood. And where you take them and what their purpose is when you get there is not very great either. But that's the path of Christ. Humility looks like suffering. And I'm not saying that all, that all of our faith is, is suffering. It's more than that. It is, it is glory too. But I think that we're saying if we want to walk the path of Jesus, we have to be willing to understand and embrace the suffering that comes with us, that comes with it. We also want to talk about Authority. It's the idea that, as, this, as Paul says, we are heirs with Christ, fellow heirs with him. So I think we also need to remember that you are an heir with Christ, that we share in his inheritance. That's what that means. We share in the inheritance of Christ. We join Christ in his kingdom coming. And we talked about this last week, Aaron brought this up in 2 Corinthians. It's the idea that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors of the kingdom. That's one of the identities that we live in, that we walk in because of who Christ has made us to be. So I think the idea of walking the path of Christ is to walk that path in humility, but with boldness, with boldness of who our king is 
that we, you know, Romans says, we do not be ashamed of the gospel. We speak with boldness. We live like Jesus in a bold way. We trust in him because Christ trusted in his father. And I was thinking about that, again, that idea that, that Christ is both lion and the lamb. He's both a humble, meek lamb and this bold lion. Did you notice about lions that male lions, when they roar, you know, it's like a territorial thing, like say like, hey, I'm here. Their roars are so loud, they can be heard up to five miles away. Like the decibel, like the decibel level of, this is like, you know, kind of nerdy stuff. The decibel level of like how loud a lion's roar is, is like equivalent to like a Metallica concert. <laughs> like a loud, like rock concert, like, Louder than like we would ever like turn these speakers up in here, obviously. <laughs> I mean, that'd be cool. Um, yeah, it's like, and I, and I think the, I, I'm sharing that image with you um, partially because I like to watch nature documentaries with Mava, so I just have like random knowledge about lions in the back of my head. But the, I want that image to stick out because like if Christ is in us, we have both that meek and lowly lamb in our hearts that we can follow the path, but we also have the lion of Judah residing in us, Christ in us, the lion of Judah in us. And I'm not saying that we like, need to go out in the street corner and like, scream as loud as we can about Jesus, trying to be like that kind of lion. But I'm saying like, there, there's power to that, the power that it takes to, to project something like a voice five miles away. Like, that's an immense amount of power that's just a, an illustration that God's provided for us in his creation to say how much power resides in us. The spirit of God dwells in us. How much power is that compared to what we can do in our own strength to be bold for our savior and the way we speak of him and the way we walk his path. We walk with him in humility, but we walk with him in authority as co-heirs. And the last one is this. So we want to walk in humility, we want to walk in authority, but we also want to be sympathetic in the way that our high priest is sympathetic. So we have compassion for the world around us. You know, I think the idea that, that we are also human. <laughs> yes, like Christ shared in our humanity, but we share in humanity with also humanity. <laughs> we should have compassion for the other humans around us then. Not just living in, and I think it's easy for us to kind of live in the, the Christian bubble, live in the Emmaus bubble, <laughs> to be comfortable with around us. But I think, you know, something that we say is we value inward and outward love. We want to express the love of Christ outward, to care, consider those around us and I think in a sense, walk, when we talk about walking the path of Jesus, it's walking the path of Emmanuel. That Jesus' name literally means God with us. So then we can be God with us. If Christ is in us, then when we go out, when we consider those around us, we're being God with us to the world around us. We're not just holding up God's presence for ourselves; we're taking his presence with us.
to those around us. So every time you show love to one of our Bridge of Hope moms, you're bringing God to them, bringing God with us, being God with us. Every time you look to the interest of someone else, when you turn the other cheek, when you let something you want die, you're walking in the same humility that Christ walked in when he emptied himself, when he gave his life, when he died your death on the cross. I was listening to a, a new, talking about more songs, I was listening to um, this group called Maverick City Music, some of you guys might be familiar with, and they have a new Christmas album, which is really great. Like half of it's Christmas and the other half is like Christmassy. But anyway, uh, I was walking with Abe the other day and uh, there's a song on there called Gratitude. Um, and it's one that Natalie Grant, I think, co-wrote and like sings with him on. Um, and she was kind of in between, uh, like one of those times where they're like doing instrumental and she like starts to talk. There's probably a word for that. Anyway, she, she's, so she's like talking in the middle of the song to like introduce like the next part of the song. And she said something that, that really stuck out to me. She said, worship might not change your circumstances, but worship changes you. Worship might not change your circumstances, but worship changes you. And I bring that up to say this. Your obedience, your walking the path of Jesus may not and probably will not change your circumstances. This Advent season, we are praying for this this morning in our prayer time this morning, but I think a lot of times when we come to seasons like this, we come to seasons like Christmas, um, it's supposed to be, and it's marketed as a time of joy and celebration and like all the good things, right? And there is a lot of that in there. Like there's a lot of joy and there's like nostalgia that comes with that. But I think any time that there is a season marked with nostalgia, season marked with joy, it's also a season marked with loss because we do lose people that we used to celebrate with. Or there's things that we've longed for to have that we don't have yet. Or there's just, yeah, not everyone has the means <laughs> to celebrate the way that we celebrate. Our obedience to King Jesus may not change our circumstances. Just celebrating Advent together and pretending that we have joy <laughs> isn't going to give us joy. But I think when we understand that our King, our King Jesus, who is reigning and ruling over this moment, it was the reason for the season, if you will, is the King who dwelt with us in humility who now reigns with authority and he cares about what you're going through this season. He knows what it's like. 
And I think the beautiful thing, the good news this morning, Jesus, about what the incarnation has to do with the reign of Jesus is that even if our worship, even if our obedience of walking the path of Jesus doesn't change our circumstances, it can change us. Our humble king who reigns in all authority and power and honor and glory and wisdom has the power through his spirit working in you right now to turn that loss into gain. To turn your anxiety into thanksgiving. To turn your sorrow into joy. If you would let him. If you would let those who he's given you to come alongside you to be Christ with you in that. Emmaus, that's the good news this morning. That's the good news in Christmas and in Advent that we have a sympathetic king who would humble himself even though he had all the authority to be like us, to walk with us even in the midst of our circumstances to change us and to, to make us more like him. Let's pray. Jesus, we confess that we are not deserving of that truth, that we, we often forget who you are. We're blind or we simply choose not to believe that you are with us or our sorrow is so deep, our anxiety is so strong. The world around us is so broken that it's, it's hard to see at times. But Jesus, it's your name, it's who you are. God with us. God who knows our sorrow, who knows our joy, who knows our tears and our smiles. And who has gone before us in the places that you call us to go, that you first loved us, that you first washed our feet. Jesus, let us learn by your example to be a people, to be a kingdom marked by humility, to be a people who are bold to proclaim, to live in, the truth of who the king is and to care and sympathize with the broken and the hurt and the downtrodden because you were one of us and you know what it's like. Jesus, let us walk in that power and that truth this morning for your glory, knowing that our suffering one day will lead to glory, will lead to being truly in your presence at your throne for you, singing to the lamb those slain. All glory and power and wisdom and might be to you. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.